You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first 2019 episode of Community Pulse. Uh, my name is PJ Haggerty. I am at Asplenic on Twitter, and I'm joined by my buddy Jason Hand and some guests today where we're going to talk about developer advocacy in large and small organizations. Uh, Jason, why don't you introduce yourself, then we'll go around the room and have everybody say their name. Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Jason Hand. You guys know, know me. I've been here, uh, you know, on the on the show for a couple of years now. And we're we're starting 2019, which sounds crazy, actually. Um, but super excited to have our guests on. And I think the reason why we chose this topic uh, is, you know, kind of timely. Is uh, I had moved over to Microsoft middle of last year, and there's been some, you know, some kind of changes in the way I approach my work now. And we wanted to kind of hear from some other people who were. Uh, doing similar type of things at large companies, but have also been at small ones. So uh, I'm super stoked about this. And uh, yeah, you can find me at Jason Hand on Twitter. And before we get started with introductions, I want to say, you know, because I'm, I'm probably going to hand it off to Maureen first. It is a coincidence, but we are sponsored by IBM. Uh, are you building cloud applications with Java, AI, machine learning, serverless, and containers? IBM Developer provides a large number of code patterns, sample applications, articles, tutorials, and videos to help you build faster. All code is available on GitHub. You can incorporate any code into existing applications or use it to start a new application. Simply go to developer.ibm.com to access IBM Developer resources and start building. Find us on Twitter at IBM Developer. And with that, an IBM Developer, Maureen, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I am Maureen McElhaney. I'm a developer advocate at IBM on the team that is the Center for Open Source Data and AI Technologies. And I've been at IBM for about two years now. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Mo underscore Mac. Cool. Yes. Nathan and Matt, jump in. Feel free. Uh, Matt, <clears throat> Matt AC uh, with Adobe. I run our developer ecosystem and at MJASAY on Twitter. And hi, I'm Nathan Harvey. I'm a developer advocate at Google. And you can find me on Twitter at Nathan Harvey, uh, as long as you follow my father's misspelling of my first name, which is N-A-T-H-A-R-E-E-Y. I'm glad you blamed your father, not your mother. <laughs> rule, rule in my house was mom picks him, dad misspells him. Uh, <laughs> he did just that for all four of his children. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad my, my parents kept it simple. Just two letters, P, J. You can't really mess it up. Um, but it all serious. So, so all, we all have a little bit of a history. <laughs> Somebody's coming for the DevRel. <laughs> that's the end. That's the end, everyone. That's good show. <laughs> Sorry, that was me. Shut it down. Shut <laughs> it down. Um, I'll just edit that part out, I guess. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. We all have a little bit of a backstory. We've all, I think... Uh, interacted or been at uh, a small startup before and we've all been at a big organization uh, we've all been doing community work for a long time uh, i know from my background i i currently run my own company but uh, i worked at the same time that that maureen worked at ibm i worked at ibm as well in the cloud division um, it was interesting to see kind of the difference between um, what it was like to do devrel or dev advocacy or whatever they were calling it at the time uh, at a large corporation where there's certain goals and certain structures in comparison to a startup where maybe it's a little more free flowing. Um, 
just want to kind of get your, let's get that as a starting base. Like, do you see a lot of difference in working for the small startup or the specific product industry, um, almost like a bespoke thing compared to say a big organization that actually does a lot of different things and you're a part of a division within it? You know, so this is Matt, maybe I'll start off on that because actually until I joined Adobe, almost all of my background was with little startups, um, open source startups. It was most recently at MongoDB, but also a range of other startups that are never had MongoDB's sort of uh, brand recognition. One thing that I'd say is the thing, one thing that really surprised me when I joined Adobe was how much time I had to spend inside the company um, helping people in product teams, et cetera, inside the company understand the importance of developers and, um, and then do the things, documentation, et cetera, do the sorts of things necessary to reach them. When I was at startups, it was, we were just desperate for anybody outside the company to take us seriously. And, um, and again, just the, the weight or the balance of how much work is done inside versus outside the company in my experience, it is dramatically different between smaller company and, and bigger company, or at least the amount of work that you'd have to do to convince people inside a small company is relatively simple because there aren't that many people. Mm. Whereas at, at a large company like Adobe, I would say mid-sized company, really large company like IBM, Microsoft, I think Google, um, all represented here. That must be orders of magnitude harder even than what I have to do inside a company like Adobe. Totally agree, Matt. <clears throat> I'm wondering uh, when you, when you, how long have you been with Adobe now? Uh, about four years, but in this role with the developer ecosystem, a little over a year. Yeah, so I have kind of a similar experience with, uh, with Microsoft and, and it, to me, it's, it's actually awesome to be able to have that kind of dual role where as an advocate, we're advocating, you know, to the, to the general public of what you know our our services are and what they offer and that kind of thing, but then we also flip it around too and take it, you know, from from the people we hear out uh, on the road or just in general and bring that back into the product teams and sort of advocate for the external voices as well. Um, that was something, you know, I think it was casually communicated like this is part of the role, but it feels like it's a much bigger part of the role than than I had realized at the time. Do you have that same experience? And I'm wondering if when you took this job, how, if that was communicated at all, that you no. would be not necessarily a, um, an external facing voice uh, primarily, but also, you know, kind of juggling a little bit both. Yeah, no, for, in my case, and I don't, in my case, not at all. Um, when I took on the role from uh, David Neuschler, uh, who um, he, he, all he said was, hey, we need help with developers. And what he meant was external um, developers, third-party developers. But when I got into the role, then I realized, oh, actually, there's all sorts of work that has to be done inside <laughs> the company. All the spade, all the, and frankly, for us, um, I look, I, and I'm envious of the work that Microsoft, Google, um, IBM, these great companies do looking outside, pulling developers in to use, I don't know, like a big query or, or something like getting, getting them excited about Kubernetes. That's not really most of where I spend my time. Most of what I spend my time is inside the company helping uh, what I call fix the developer hygiene, um, getting documentation, APIs, et cetera, getting all that in such a state that somebody outside the company would care. 
but it's, it means there's tons and tons of work inside internal work to do first. And no one told me that I had to do any of that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I mean, I, I, again, it's the same experience for me. And now that you mentioned it though, I feel like if I look at the contrast between a large company and small company, I, I came from Victor ops, which at the time we were just, you know, like 150 people when I left. So pretty small. Um, and I, I know that I, you know, most of my effort seemed like it was focused on the external world of, of bringing the ideas of, you know, DevOps and incident management and all these different things just to, to, to the masses. But I also, especially later on, felt like I, I pivoted 180 degrees and started talking more to our internal engineers because I realized that they weren't really wrapping their heads around topics like SRE. And, you know, I'm out on the road, like talking about how people should do things. But then when I ask around the office, hey, how do we do things? They're not in total alignment. And so then it made me feel a little bit, you know, uneasy of, hey, I can't be out, you know, promoting best practices, quote, you know, on whatever, when we don't even do these things. Um, so it, it, there's been like a weird transition of now I don't have to, to necessarily coach people that same type of thing, but I still have to teach them something about what the rest of the world is doing and, and why this is sort of the, the, the new approach of things. Um, so I, Nathan, now that you're over at Google, are you excuse me, experiencing that type of thing too as well? Yeah. And, um, I should, uh, start off by telling you the biggest change that I've seen going from a small company to a large company. And that is this, the views that I present here on this podcast are my own. They don't reflect my employer. And I should say that. Um, okay. Now that that's out of the way, I can actually go back to answering the questions. Um, I, you know, I was at chef. Uh, we were about 300 people internally uh, while I was there and my role really was building a community. And now at Google, I am a developer advocate. And on the surface, maybe those things are the same, but in my experience, they're definitely different. And I do feel like this developer advocacy kind of works both ways, right? I'm advocating to developers about the use of cloud, about SRE and DevOps practices, but then I'm turning around, just as Matt said, and advocating internally for those developers that I'm out there meeting with. And I think as you get into that large organization that's building so many products, like it's a much larger product suite, there's a lot more functionality. The, the folks that are building that functionality, the engineers that are working on those products, I think they're just a little bit further removed from the community that, that is using their products. And so to have people like ourselves that are in the field, that are out there every day talking to folks, learning, listening, to those folks and seeing how they're actually doing the work and then bringing that back internally, I think is super important. And that's definitely a thing that's, that's much different now than it was when I was at a smaller company. Interesting. Do you have any, any insight on this too? Have you experienced the same type of thing? Well, I have a little bit of a different background. I've uh, only done developer advocacy for IBM, uh, but I've worked on different teams within IBM and so when I started at IBM, I focused mainly on just advocating for CloudInt and now working for the Center for Open Source Data and AI Technologies. It's a different set of uh, products that we're advocating for. And I had different experiences on those different teams. Uh, CloudInt, uh, for whatever reason, it was a little bit harder for us to uh, get feedback internally uh, and work directly with the engineers that were um, building stuff, but now on my team at, at CodeAid, that's the short term for sure. our 
<laughs> our team. Uh, I work directly with the developers who are building all the open source tools that we're advocating for, and I meet with researchers all the time, and it's really easy to, you know, speak internally with those people. So, you know, the company is so big, I think that you can, I, I think at big companies, you can find that where you're, you're, you experience different cultures depending on where you work within the company itself. Well, I think I think you actually bring up a good point, and that this is what I wanted to ask because I mean, so you're at IBM, which, which no offense to anyone else here, is probably the most massive organization that we're discussing right now, um, and I, I work there as well. Maureen, did you? Have, or I, this is for anybody, but I, I know that Maureen and I have this similar IBM experience. Have you ever, like, you know, been on the road or you're giving a talk or you're throwing a meetup or something like that, and someone comes to talk to you about something IBM, but not your IBM? Um, I know that I, I, I did a talk at, uh, at an AI conference and people were like, tell me about Watson. I was like, as a matter of fact, I don't work for Watson. I work in IBM Cloud, but I, I can get you in touch with the people who are part of Watson. Um, have you ever found that because the organization is so big and there is this, like, multitude of products that people just say, okay, well, IBM or Google or Microsoft or Adobe, like, okay, I'm going to talk to you about thing X. And I don't know if you have anything to do with thing X because the company's so big. That's definitely happened to me for sure. And it's usually Watson. <laughs> yeah. Um, most often. <laughs> and I just, I do the same thing. I, you know, I know the people who work on that. I can get you in touch with them. You know, I think it's really cool, <laughs> but I don't know a ton about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I always, I always per personally found it interesting because it's, it's, it's something you don't have when you're at the startup. Like I'm sure Nathan, when you were at Chef, it's like people obviously didn't come to you to talk about, I don't know what they're doing at Cookpad because there's a similar relationship there. But they came to talk to you about Chef. But when you're at a huge organization, like for some reason, I, I think that I could talk to Jason about the new Surface Pro <laughs> because he works at Microsoft now. So obviously he knows about their entire product line, right? Yeah, that's, definitely, that's definitely an experience I had. And like in both places, um, like Chef, of course, people would come up and want to talk about uh, other, other tools and solutions in the same space. So, you know, I'd talk about Ansible, I'd talk about Puppet, I would have to know those things. And the same is true at Google. Like I have to know uh, what happens on AWS, how do you use Azure, things like that. But when they come up and talk, you know, I want to talk about the, the latest Pixelbook and the Android phone and how do I get my commits into Android? Like, of course, this isn't something that I don't, that, that I know a whole lot about. Uh, and by not a whole lot about, I mean, like, goose egg, I don't know anything about it. Um, I know that you can make calls on an Android phone. At least that's what I hear. Uh, so, yeah. Nathan, I got... Um Something you just said kind of reminded me because I totally I'm experiencing the same thing I'm, I'm in the middle of this like big tour for Microsoft where we got these events all over the place and and of course Inevitably, I, I'll get done with the talk and then somebody will come ask me about you know Skype or something That's just not 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 even remotely related to, to that my area of expertise um, I'm wondering like I feel a lot of guilt when I can't you know Like I can't actually answer that and I'm wondering I think Nathan you're probably of all of us that made the change or the you know the switch most recently are you, do you carry around that like, same type of feeling? Like it just feels weird for me to say, I'm sorry, I don't know, because I'm, I'm so used to having at least some sort of opinion on an idea, you know, like I, I may not know the answer. I can find somebody who'll give you the right answer, but I at least have some thought about it. But now there's just, there's so many things involved at Microsoft. I'm sure it's the same at Google. I'm sure it's the same for all of you, really. I'd love to hear from all of you. How are you dealing with just, you know, not really knowing uh, as yeah. much as you used to? 
Yeah, I think there's a couple of things there, right? So I was with Chef for six years. Any products that Chef built, anything that we thought about, anything that was going on in the, even in the open source ecosystem around Chef, I probably knew about it or had an opinion about it. Um, and now that I've come to Google, like there's a couple of things. First, I don't really feel, um, I don't know that guilt is the right word. I do have some anxiety around someone's gonna come ask me a question that I have no idea about. Uh, but I also kind of celebrate that moment because there's a there's a couple of things that can happen there. First, I can I can be honest and say, I, I don't know, but it's good that you're asking me that because maybe that's a thing that I need to go dig in on. There's someone in the field that wants to hear about this thing, so I should probably learn more about that. Um, at, at least like you, Jason, I still have uh, the, oh, I've, I've been here less than a year excuse that I can just throw up. Um, and unfortunately, you know, like there's a fixed timeline on less than a year. Uh, so I got to watch that uh, and, and not just use that as a crutch. But also, I think that when you're when you're talking with people and they come up to you and you actually don't have an opinion or any knowledge about something. I think there are too many times, especially in our space, where someone will bullshit an answer. And if what you can do in that moment is say, I'm not going to bullshit you or, you know, be open about the fact that you don't you don't know everything. I think that that actually builds greater trust and and starts that relationship off on the right foot. Yeah, I totally agree. That's that's pretty much the same game plan I've been using. Is I'll I'll respond with you know probably the usual. Hey, I've only been with with the company six months and and I'm still learning. But um, to me, it seems like it's the perfect opportunity to really form that that first bond with somebody and say, look, I don't know the answer to this, but we're gonna we're gonna solve this together. So why don't you send me an email? Um, here's my personal email address hit me up on Twitter. Let's, let's solve this, you know, together because I think not only is it something you're trying to figure out, something I need to know about. And I bet you that there are others out there who want to know this too. So I actually sort of celebrate somebody asking me a question I don't have an answer to, whereas used to, or maybe at the very initial, I was just super nervous because I have to walk around wearing a shirt that says, you know, ask the expert. And I'm like, <laughs> an expert at what? Like, what are you going to ask me? Cause I don't, you know, so, but it, you can spin it around into, you know, and I think most people are open to that. They recognize you don't have all the answers, but you're the first person they're coming to. Um, so I wonder yes. if many others have that too. It's a great opportunity then for you to take ownership of that question as well and go and meet your colleagues across the large organization. Like I don't even, like you can ask me a question. I might not even know where to start sourcing an answer, but this is a great opportunity for me to learn more about the people that I'm working with. So have, you considered, have you considered Googling the answer? <laughs> toss that out there actually i i had a follow-on question from that for um maybe start maybe it starts with maureen at a really really big company but um, to jason's point of it's maybe liberate or liberating is the right word but it's uh, you get asked a question you don't know the answer it gives you the opportunity as nathan said to go find somebody in the organization that that does, how do your respective companies, <clears throat> at a small company, you basically have one product. At MongoDB, we had the database. Um, and so that's when I ran community there, that's all we had to think about. Um, but for an IBM, for example, you've got probably products that no one knows about. Um, like Maureen has never heard of these products, but they've been around for a while. Somebody somewhere cares about this product. How do, how do you, how do they, at these different companies, Microsoft, Google, um, IBM, how do you, how do people get s sorted into different 
roles? Because I assume you have Jason, Nathan, Maureen, I assume you have some focus area and you might get questions, ask questions about different things that you don't know about. And so that gives you the opportunity to go ask. But, but you start someplace. How, do, how are your companies structured? Or I guess, or maybe that's the question. How are you structured um, so that you can have deep expertise in something and then kind of more uh, lighter expertise in other things? I know at IBM we have just a ton of different teams that cover all sorts of things. So you can get expertise in that focus area where you are. Um, and then for me, when I, when I inevitably get questions about things that I don't know the answers to, I have to just kind of check in Slack and ask. We have a developer advocates channel that's, you know, a few hundred people, hundreds of people actually. <laughs> And I can just ask in there, who knows this, who knows something about this thing or who knows, you know, someone who works on this product. And then I kind of have a wild goose chase of trying to figure out who I can talk to. Um, but it doesn't take long for me to find somebody that can, that can help me out and get me the information I need to, to help this developer who has this question. And, you know, as was said, it's, it's kind of a fun opportunity for me to build a bridge that I didn't have a reason to build before. And, and sort of get to know other people in the company who I might not otherwise ever interact with because the company is so huge that I would never talk to them otherwise. Um, so it's almost fun. It's kind of, you know, figuring out things that, that, you know, I wouldn't have any reason to do otherwise. And I'm never going to know everything ever. I'm never, ever going to know everything about IBM <laughs> because it's just <laughs> so big. And I just have to be okay with being in that state as, as a, a, de a developer advocate here. I think being okay with it, that's the, that's the part, like the, the main thing right there is that you just have to be okay with it, which was at look, working at a smaller company, like you couldn't, it was a little bit more difficult to accept that you don't know the answer to this one thing, because Matt, to your point, like you're just, you're just selling a, a database. So you should know the ins and out of the entire product. But now we're at these other places where, you know, if somebody wants to ask me about Xbox, like I'll go play, you know, a game with you, but I'm, I have no idea what's, you know, if you have ideas about how you can improve the, the network, I'll, I'll pass it on. But, but with that said, at least at Microsoft, um, we have the, the nice um, arrangement or relationship, I'd say, where all of the advocates are actually on the same team as the, the, um, the org that does all the docs. So if you came to me with a question, and, and I, of course, would go see, you know, do we have something like that in our docs? And, and is it, you know, just documented anywhere? I have a direct line into the documentation team and I can go ask them questions. Um, but then also if, if there's just nothing in there that's helpful or they're not really sure either, we, we also have a direct line into our product managers. So just, you know, you have to use some sort of like directory service to figure out who's the, who's the product owner or the product manager for, for whatever service. Um, but it's been really nice to have um, that sort of access. And, and in most cases, the PMs are, you know, clamoring to, to talk to the advocates because they, you know, kind of see us as, as sort of the face and voice of a lot of their, of their people that they're trying to get in touch with or, you know, communicate with. So is that the same arrangement that you have, uh, you know, any of you, Google, uh, IBM and Adobe, do you have that type of relationship with your docs teams and your, and your product managers? I think at IBM, we are still finding ways to advocate for our role within the company, which is interesting since we're so big and we've, we've been around for a long time, but I think even within the company, 
people still need to learn what developer advocacy is and they get confused. They think that we might be sales or they think we might be marketing, even though we're not, we're definitely tied to engineering. Um, so there still is that internal advocacy that needs to be done to let people know what we bring to the table and what we can do for them. Well, you know, that, that brings up an interesting question too, is, is it a bigger, cause I, I don't think that's exclusive to the large organization. I think that in, in a lot of places and, and we're seeing this on Twitter, there's a lot of back and forth going on about what is DevRel, what does dev advocacy mean? We talk about it almost every single episode on this show, but at the same time, like, I think that the idea of fighting for it, and maybe it's different in bigger organizations because with startups, you have the, the VCs who are standing there with a checklist saying, hey, we need a developer advocate. It's right here on this list. Step C, get developer advocate. But a large organization doesn't have that. They move a little bit slower with the newer concepts. So is, do, do you feel that, um, how do I want to word this? Do you feel that with, with you're, you're spending as much time advocating for yourself internally as you are advocating for the company externally? Or do you feel that it's, it's getting easier as time passes? That, that the large organization is starting to say, you know, okay, cool. We understand what this is. We see the other people out there when we go out in the world. You know, when we sponsor at a booth, we're seeing some people on stage who are developer advocates. We have some of those. Now we understand what they need. Or do you think it's still like a slow roll where, you know, kind of like cloud was a few years ago where, you know, the startups were like, yeah, we love cloud, everything cloud, 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 cloud. And large organizations were like, cloud, this seems like an interesting concept. We'll look at it in five years. You know, I think it's, I think it's really a question of how do you build trust? Um, and when you work like, so I'm uh, in the engineering organization. So we work very closely with not only the, the product management, but also the product teams, the documentation teams. And really this question of what is developer advocacy? What is developer relations? The, the question really is what, what sort of impact are you gonna have on the business that we're trying to achieve? What sort of impact are you gonna have on the customers? And, and that may be measured in adoption, it may be measured in uptick of, of new releases or what have you. But I think that um, if, we, if we work well with our counterparts across the organization, the question of what, what is it that you do for me, like that can disappear because it will become obvious through the work that we've done we can make commitments, we can go out and deliver on those commitments, and we can come back and talk about that. And I think that that's a, it's a two-way street, right? Do I trust the product teams that I have to go and advocate for my developers to? And do they trust me to go out and take the message out into the world? And so I think if we build that trust, and the way that we build trust is by acting, not by talking about it, by going out there and doing the work, that's, that's the thing that matters. And I think, I think the other side of that question that I have too is, so, I mean, working with large, large organizations, um, you know, like Matt mentioned working with Mongo, you mentioned working with Chef, uh, Jason mentioned Victor Ops. Like when you go out, you have to kind of explain to people what the hell it is you do. And not only because startups all have stupid names now, and, and I'm not, I'm not even going to apologize for that statement. We really do. We, we've run out of names anyway, not the point is, is it kind of, a weird difficulty, like a small hurdle in the fact that like, you know, Matt, you got there and you're like, Hey, I work for Adobe and everybody knows exactly who you work for. Like, there's no question. Adobe, they make Illustrator, they make Photoshop. We know what they do. IBM, they build big servers. They have cloud stuff. They do Watson. They make crash registers. Google, I'm pretty sure it's a search engine. Microsoft, basically how I spend my nights is on your Xbox. Like everyone knows what you, you do. So is that like almost, is it, is it less of a burden when you go out to talk about things? Because you're talking about, you know, introducing people to new product lines or getting them into new, new projects that are going on. But people already have, like, there's definitely a set expectation 
when they say, oh, here comes Maureen from IBM. Here comes Nathan from, from Google. Here comes Matt from Adobe. Here comes Jason from Microsoft. They know there, there's, there's almost a, a tone in the, in the from blank section. Yeah, but I would say even just the way you just set that up, I would say well, that's a blessing and a curse. Um, probably in the case I'm looking at, Jason, um, probably for Microsoft right now, people think if Microsoft, most people, most of, if they're speaking at a conference, they're probably assuming they're not going to talk, unless it's like E3 or something, they're not going to be talking about games. They're going to be talking about Azure. Right. Um, or if you're Google, they're probably going to be talking about Google Cloud. Um, Adobe's a little harder because most people do think Photoshop, Illustrator, et cetera. And that's actually where we do very little of the developer work. It's mostly on our marketing cloud side or digital marketing side. Um, so I think it depends. And actually, it, I was thinking before while, while a few of the people were on the call were talking about um, – at any given company, you have mature products with mature developer communities. We have Magento that has several hundred thousand developers. They've got, they've got a pretty defined developer um, outreach community. Everything kind of works. And then we've got everything else that mostly does not. Um, and, <laughs> and so it's, it's a matter of taking, and we've had people internally say, hey, well, we got this Magento community. Let's just stick that let's just reorient them over here to our analytics and and our web content management business and like um well why would the magento folks care about that other stuff so there's again it's this internal external thing we could go out and tell the magento community hey adobe acquired magento and immediately you should care about all the other stuff that we do and they don't um and internally it means that we have to do all this education of like, no, that's actually not how community work. That's not how developer relations works. Um, it's this constant internal, external um, education process. And, I, and again, I think for any given company at IBM, you have mature products that have mature communities, and then you have the latest, greatest thing that you're trying to get out there. And that blessing and curse is that people think of IBM and they think Watson or whatever you're not there for Watson. You're there to talk about this new budding thing that you're trying to get off the ground where you're almost in startup mode. Um, and, and having the weight of IBM behind you can be, I would guess could be kind of a, a curse at that point. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Cause one of the things I'm kind of going through right now is um, you know, my title is, is developer advocate or actually was developer advocate. Now it's more cloud advocate where we just sort of advocate for a little bit more general use of, of, uh, of things, you know, related to the cloud. But um, honestly, most of my audience, if I stop and think about it, they're not always hardcore developers. In fact, they're usually more, especially um, probably moving forward, they're going to be um, people that are, uh, I don't know, principal engineers or first time uh, CTOs and people that have some, you know, maybe some development background, but they're now in a different role and they're not necessarily developers, but they're still trying to solve problems and they're still trying to, you know, build products. And I think that sometimes just the, the, the term developer advocacy, you know, especially to an outsider, they, they hear that and they're like, okay, so you really just work with the developers. Um, but that's not the case. And that's, that's been a big uh, change within Microsoft where we actually dropped that term because we don't want that confusion and we don't want people feeling like we're only here for, to advocate for develop, 
you know, developer side of things or, you know, any type of stuff like that. And it, when you start to really take a step back and look at the audience and the, and the varying types of people, there's a lot of different approaches and there's, there's different languages and different things that, you know, people like a Magento developer wants to not wants to talk about this one type of thing. And then if you talk to like a first time CTO or, you know, um, principal engineer, like they want to hear more high level uh, architectural designs and, you know, thinking about scaling and all these other things. And I feel like that's definitely been a big shift for me is, is, is thinking about, um, even though pr previously at Victor Ops, like I spent a lot of time probably trying to talk to, uh, senior leadership about well when we're talking about DevOps like this isn't really just about automating your pipelines this is also really a shift in the way that you work with your people and you kind of yeah, so I think there's just a lot of there's a lot of like shifting of of topics and and it's not always developer focused and I don't know if that's something that, that you know you see also at Adobe and, and IBM and Google but that's something that I've had to adjust to a little bit is that my my audience they're not necessarily always super specific, but when people from the outside come to talk to me about it, they feel like it is super specific. Is that something anybody else is dealing with? I think I deal with it in a different way. Uh, you know, as you said, like dealing with the reputation of your company, I think IBM has a really big reputation of being, you know, enterprise focused and having enterprise clients. And my team specifically, we work on a lot of open source data and a lot of um, open source AI. And so that isn't really where our reputation lies. So I have to kind of combat that, you know, we are very developer focused and everything we do is out in the open. And IBM doesn't necessarily, even though IBM has been huge in the open source community for a very long time, I don't know if that's what they're known for. And so it is kind of an exciting time to work here because, you know, with the acquisition of Red Hat, you know, IBM is, you know, making big uh, investments in open source and I'm able to kind of tout that as part of, you know, what I'm doing and, and have that help, help my cause along um, by saying, you know, this is, this is where we're focusing. This is where our future is. Um, you know, I can use that in my, in my toolbox, I guess. Your self-promotion toolbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it, I think it, um, I like for me, it always comes back to who's the community that we're here to support. Right. So I, I, I was hired to join Google to help the DevOps, the SRE, the infrastructure community, uh, out. And so sometimes if you say to your point, Jason, if you say the word developer there, if I'm talking to a bunch of people that identify as system administrators and I say, I'm a developer advocate, Maybe they ask the question like, well, what are you doing here? We're, we're all sysadmins. We're not developers, um, which I might call bullshit on and say, actually, you are developers, but uh, it's cool. Like, we're going we're gonna to help you out. Um, but so there's, you know, we, we oftentimes argue or, or have conversations around what, what is the right term? Is it developer? Is it technical practitioner? Um, what, who, who are the people that we're supporting? But then also, um, to your point, like, to, to truly advocate for a developer, to truly advocate for someone that is a technical practitioner, you also have to talk to the executives within that organization, right? You have to change some of the culture that is and the processes that are taking place within that organization. You have to get management on board, like incident management and post postmortems. Uh, you have to get management on board with this idea that 100% reliability is not an achievable thing, that you should learn from failure and, and you should celebrate failure the same way you celebrate success. 
I find that telling that story to practitioners is, uh, is received in a different way than it is when you go and tell that same story to executives. And, and part of our job, I think, is to be able to tell that story and, and, and convince folks into these new practices, regardless of what level they're at. Yeah, very true. I think that I think that's a good point, and I think this is a good uh, a good turning point for us as as far as uh, time wise, because uh, I've been paying attention to the time. That's my job. Uh, usually, when we finish up the snow three, before before we even, I just want to thank all of you for being on the show and being so open and honest about your experiences. Uh, usually, at the end, we do a thing called checkouts, where we mention one or two things that may or may not have something to do with what we were talking about. Um, it could have nothing to do with what we're talking about. It might have nothing to do with tech at all. Um, but just, you know, some takeaways for people to check out after they, uh, they're done listening to the show. Um, Jason, you want to, you want to go first there since you're first on the list on this document and you know how I feel about bulleted lists. So that means you, you literally have to go first. I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I can go first. Um, so I've just got a couple of books, uh, to recommend and I'm only, um, just a few chapters into one of them. Uh, but uh, they both came highly regarded. The first one is called Tribes by Seth Godin. I, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. But um, especially for this audience, for our listeners, I think this is a good one because it really does, at least so far, um, does a really good job of talking about um, kind of in the modern world of, of leading leadership um, and how you know, our communities kind of come together uh, and 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 how those kind of work dynamically and internally and why they've been successful. Um, so, so far it's been, it's been really good. And I definitely recommend it for you know, anybody in the DevRel space to, to t take a look at tribes. And then another one I have not, I have not actually read yet, but a coworker of mine had just finished it and um, she, she was pretty pleased with it, but it's called the art of gathering, how to meet and why it matters. Um, that one's also, I think in the kind of in the same vein um, again, I have not read it yet, so I don't, don't know exactly, but I'm looking forward to both of those books. Um, maybe uncovering some some things that I probably already know. I just haven't really stopped and thought about in in, in this type of way. Uh, so those are my two checkouts. A couple books. Uh, we'll add those into the show notes. And um, yep. if you've read those, I'd love to chat with you about it. So yeah, that's what I got. And uh, are Matt, Nathan, Maureen, any of you ready, or do you need more sure. time? No, sure, I can. Um, I was just going to say the. For those who are interested in DevRel or trying to figure out for their companies how to how to best go about it, um, I think it really is company specific. Again, if I'm doing developer relations at Microsoft, it's a different job than if I'm doing it today at Adobe. The needs of our company are different today. Than I, and hopefully, eventually, we have the sorts of needs that Microsoft has, that Google has, that IBM has with, again, established developer-oriented products, whether it's infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, or whatever. Um, but so rather than, I think, it's, I think it's very useful to learn from and to watch, um, whether you follow your favorite DevRel people on Twitter or whatever, I think that's useful. And it gives you clues as to where you want to get to. But often, there are things, again, going back to what I said earlier in the show, there are things that need to be done within your company that maybe were done five years ago at Microsoft. And so that paves the way for them to go out and, and, and spend a lot of time with external um, evangelism. Again, in the case of Adobe right now, we're in the developer hygiene mode, fixing stuff internally to make sure that when we open the doors 
to developers to build on on different products that we're working on that that there's something useful that they can do but again so uh, the takeaway is just learn from what everybody else is doing but really think hard about what your needs are today because those needs are are probably going to be company specific they're going to be um, individual to to your company and maybe not what google needs today yeah i actually want to i want to pause and, and like put a huge bullet point on this because i think it's super important i'm glad you brought it up because if this goes right back to and pj you've already mentioned it we keep talking about the devrel thing and the whole the conversation that came up online a couple weeks ago um it comes back to it really does depend on what the company needs and so when we treat we keep trying to put devrel in a box and say well this is what it is and this is why it's important and this is why companies do it it varies it's different for microsoft it's different for google there's going to be some similarities of course but people are just arguing over the implementation of how everybody's doing it when it's different and it has to be different so i you it know, does yep i'm just i'm just i just want to i don't know I, it's hard to drop this whole thing when there's just people out there that are so upset about it um but i think that's a that's really what it comes down to is that every every devrel environment every company is going to be different and to to think that it has to be defined a certain way and it has to be performed a certain way is just ludicrous so i just wanted to i just wanted to reiterate that i guess so thank you for saying that sure who's next nathan had a thumbs up sure i can go uh i have I have two. Uh, the first one is um, this crazy thing that we did for my 15 year old son uh, this Christmas. We bought him uh, a, a lesson at the Trapeze School of New York in Washington, DC. Uh, and it's weird because it's called the Trapeze School of New York in Washington, DC. I don't know. I don't is, it know like, the, is it like the University the of Miami in Ohio? <laughs> right, right. I don't know the story of why the New York and the DC thing, but but the thing that I will tell you is that um, you know, as you hear my voice, you might not realize that uh, if you if you met me in person, like you're pro probably the first thought when you saw me was not, I bet that dude's good at trapezing. Uh, but I'll tell you what, when I went to that trapeze school with my son, uh, there were some real lessons that we could take from that into DevRel. The instructors there were absolutely amazing. And the only thing they did all day long was build you up, build your confidence and, and, and help you get to the next step. It did, and it didn't matter where you were, wherever you were, as the day went on, you got better and you got better for two reasons. One, you had awesome instructors that were there building up everything that you were doing and giving you guidance on how to get better. But number two, and this is super important, you did the work. I didn't get better at trapezing by talking about trapezing or by discussing how I was going to whip my legs over the bar. I only got better because I went out and I did that. Uh, and I think that that is something that we can take away as, as uh, developer advocates. We can take that and go out and help people do the thing, not just talk about the thing. And we can build them up, meet them where they are, and take them to the next step. And then my second uh, checkout um, isn't really a thing that you can check out, uh, but I want to ask each and every one of us to, when you meet someone, take a moment to uh, reflect, to experience awe for what they do. I think that uh, back to uh, what do we do, like how do we put DevRel in a box and the whole Twitter kerfuffle that's gone on around that. One of the things that I, uh, that I see coming out of that as well 
is that as technologists, we, there's a tendency for us to look down on other people within our organization or people that aren't in a technology career. And you know what? That's complete bullshit. Uh, we should look in awe at the things that people are doing in their life. Uh, whether that's someone in sales who is crushing it and really understands the process of selling software, or if that's a Lyft driver, or if that's someone working at uh, Papa John's, uh, someone making sandwiches somewhere, look at them in awe and understand that the work that they do is valuable, not only to the things that you need to get done, but to society as a whole, to the world, the way that we work. Uh, and stop looking down and shitting on people for careers that they've chosen or for the work that they do. Amen. That's very inspiring. That's Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> I have one checkout and it's sort of shifting gears a little bit because I am really passionate about supporting diversity in tech. And I feel like as a developer advocate, we're empowered to make change there because a big part of our job is going to events and speaking at events. And there's an event coming up called Global Diversity CFP Day. And I would encourage everyone who's listening who is experienced developer advocate to consider hosting one of these workshops where you live um, to encourage people to speak at local meetups and conferences and, and go to conferences and speak. Um, and if you're new to DevRel and you're, you haven't spoken yet or you're, you want to get better, um, look around your area to see if there's a workshop happening um, to check it out. So you can go to globaldiversitycfpday.com. I'm hosting a workshop here in Burlington, Vermont. Um, it's on March 2nd of this year. So check that out. Awesome. And I know so many uh, good talks and good coaching sessions that have come from those global CFP days. They're absolutely essential and awesome because to be honest, I, I, I love the, the work that we do in DevRel, but I don't want to do it forever. And I get tired of hearing my own voice. Um, the hardest part of editing this con, con this podcast is listening to me talk. Um, but yeah, that's awesome from all of you. I'll do my checkouts real quick. Uh, one of the things I had kind of along the lines of this inspiration is, uh, I think I mentioned this on the show before. My daughter's really into musicals, like really into musicals, like at an almost inappropriate level. But anyway, she did get me into the whole Hamilton thing. And I, I really got interested in this guy, this Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, who wrote Hamilton. He's had a couple successes on Broadway. He's in Mary Poppins recently, for those who saw it. But uh, he's also like this super positive person who believes that being nice is the benefit that you give to everybody in the world. So um, he kind of gathered a bunch of his, his tweets. He, he likes to do these good morning and good night tweets on Twitter. And he gathered them and had them illustrated in a book called Good Morning, Good Night, Little Pep Talks for Me and You by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's just kind of a good, like, positive kind of, uh, you know, an easy way to start your day. Just take a look and, you know, look through a few of the pages. And, I mean, this isn't a sit down and read cover to cover kind of thing. It's just a coffee table kind of book. But it definitely, you know, puts you in a mood to, to just be a nicer person and a more, you know, outgoing, gregarious person. Kind of like we're saying, you know, to appreciate the people that that put together your life every day on the outside um on the other side of things i have been working uh musically to kind of bring things out of the shell a little bit uh traveling so much i haven't been able to be a part of a band for any sustained period of time lately so i decided this year i'm going to try to bring my guitar everywhere um and try to write and record a song about the location i'm in so in the checkout you'll find a link to the first song it's called sandusky um it's not a happy song i don't write happy songs i'm sorry that part's <laughs> not going to be inspirational um 
but I wrote it while I was at CodeMash last week in Ohio, and I'm going to try to do that for every conference that I go to throughout the year. So we'll see how that turns out. Hopefully it'll be pretty exciting. Um, but those are my checkouts for this episode. Um, and I think that wraps things up. We missed, we missed Mary greatly, but I think we had a good time. Uh, Maureen, Nathan, Matt, thank you so much for joining yeah, thank us. You. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure that we'll have you all back at some point in time. Uh, as we move through this journey of 2019, episode one done in the books. So on that, uh, if you guys, if, if anyone out there who's listening has questions or, or things they want to talk about, please get in touch with us. Um, <laughs> please get in touch with us at communitypulse.io, pj at communitypulse.io, jason at communitypulse.io, married at communitypulse. We're at community underscore pulse on Twitter. Um, my name is PJ Haggerty. I've been one of your hosts, and you can find me on Twitter at Esplenic. And I'm Jason Hand. I'm uh, at uh, Jason Hand on Twitter, of course. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being a part of this episode, all three of you. And uh, we'll, we'll chat again real soon. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.